Amen. While you're standing, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some at the back table. Feel free to step out right now. Go to the back and grab you a Bible. Um, if you don't have one at your own possession, please take one. It's our gift to you. We'll be in the New Testament of the Bible, and we'll read from Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter. This is the, uh, our family Sunday. On the last Sunday of every month, we worship together as a family. So Bridge Kids will stay in and worship with us through the remainder of the service. Colossians chapter number 1. We'll begin with verse number 15. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. If you don't, uh, if you need to follow along on the screen, we have it on the screen as well. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. If you can't find Colossians, go to the table of contents. Um, that's what it's there for, and it will help you. While, we're, while I'm allowing you to flip through that, I'm going to uh, want to remind you that we are in our series on reconciliation. And so today, my goal is to present to you the great reconciler, Jesus himself. Colossians number 1, verse 15 through 23, and here's what thus says the word of God. He, that's Jesus Christ, is the of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Verse number 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things Hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Number 21 says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God for the people of God, to the glory of God. You may have your seat. This letter that was written to the church at Colossae, was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote them specifically to deal with some false doctrine that was being passed along through certain teachers. 
There were people there who were, love, who were, uh, who were building their faith on philosophy. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. Wisdom in and of itself is not bad. Matter of fact, we have a whole Bible, a whole section of Scripture that deals with wisdom literature. But this was man-made wisdom that they were following. There was the worship of angels. They, they were involved in something called asceticism, which is an extreme form of self-denial and bodily pleasures. And so Paul, he writes to this church. And as he's writing to this church, he, he, he puts in what some have called a hymn of Christ. This is the great Christology of the Bible. Christology meaning the study of Christ. And so we start here with, chapter, with verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. And here are three things that we learn about Jesus from the Apostle Paul. The first thing we learn from the Apostle Paul is that Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says he, that he is referring to Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word image comes from the Greek word icon, where we get our word icon from. That word icon, it means, it means image, likeliness, form, appearance. It, 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 it implies representation and manifestation. And Christ, the invisible God, is made visible. Now, Christ reveals God because he is God. John 14, verse 9 says, this is what Christ declares. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, Jesus Christ, church, is the exact representation of the Father. Y'all quiet on me this morning, so let me tell you a story. When I was middle-aged, middle-aged, ha! I'm not middle-aged, I don't think. When I was middle school-aged, uh, ha! We would, we, we would... My, my mom would take me school shopping before the beginning of the school year. And uh, we were not well-to-do people. My mom was doing the best that she could. She was a single parent. But my mom wanted me to not feel inferior to my other classmates, so she wanted me to have the same types of clothes that my other friends would wear. So if I wanted to dress like the preppy kids, I had to get Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger. If, 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 if I wanted to dress like the urban kids, I had to wear FUBU and Rockaway. Y'all like, FUHU? <laughs> now, I didn't fit into either one, but I wanted to dress like them. So, so remember, I told you that my mom couldn't afford all these name brand clothes. There was a store in Dallas called Big T. Big T Bazaar. So that's what we did. If you wanted name brand clothes at Walmart prices, 
You went to Big T. So guess where my mom took me for school shopping? Big T. Got on the highway, went to Big T. Oh, let me tell you, I did some damage in Big T. I had all the polos. I had all the FUBU, the Rockaway. Look, I was sharp. You couldn't tell me nothing. Got my clothes. Go to school, Christina. I'm ready. On and popping. On fleek. UrbanDictionary.com, if you don't know what that means. So, so, so I'm thinking, I'm on fleek. Wear it. So I wear my clothes. The tag happened to be sticking out of one of my shirts. I had Tommy Hilfiger on that day. Someone happened to see my tag out, looked at the tag, and realized this ain't authentic Tommy Hilfiger. This is middle school, remember? So it's not something like they're going to keep to themselves. They're going to tell everybody else, oh, he got his shirt fake. He ain't got no Tommy Hilfiger. You went to Big T, didn't you? Oh. Oh, they realized, well, I thought I was wearing something that was named brand, and I, I was wearing it like it was the real thing, but really it was just a cheap imitation. That cheap imitation that I went and bought because I wanted to be like others. I was wearing cheap imitation clothing because I thought I would find fulfillment in that cheap imitation, and that cheap imitation ended up costing me. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is no cheap imitation. Jesus is the real thing. He is the exact representation of God. God, 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 he, 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 he was fully God. That's what I believe verse 18 says. He, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And, and, and so God was so glorious that he says, in order for my son to go down, he's going to have to cloak himself in flesh. And so Jesus that God became man through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God. Everything that the Father is, so is the Son. Let's see if I can do this. The Son is just as loving as the Father. The Son is just as gracious as the Father. The Son is just as holy as the Father. The Son is just as righteous as the Father. Whatever the Father is, so is the Son. And God says, I'm going to reveal it to my people through my son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus reveals God to us. Now, not only does he, does, uh, does he is he the image of God, but the text says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, by firstborn, the firstborn in biblical times was one who was the heir of the family estate and, and, and legacy. The firstborn had exclusive privileges. So he says Jesus has all the rights and prerogatives that go to a firstborn. So we see Jesus reveals God. But not only does Jesus reveal God, but Jesus rules over creation. Jesus rules over creation. Let me show it to you in verses 16 through 19. He says Jesus rules over creation because Jesus is the producer of creation. He's the producer of creation. The text makes it clear in verse 16 that Jesus is the creator of all things. Matter of fact, there is nothing that has been created that was not created by Jesus. Because 
Jesus is the creator, then Jesus has absolute supremacy and authority over all creation. Now watch this. Paul says that supremacy extends to things in heaven and things on earth. The sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxy, human beings. His supremacy extends to things visible and things invisible. So, so Jesus is even Lord over gravity. He's even Lord over the angels. Even the devil is God's devil. He, 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 he create, he's supreme over all of these things. His supremacy extends to thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. In other words, he's king of kings and lord of lords. It's been said that the president of the United States of America is, is the most powerful person in the world. Even if that's true, the president of America is just an instrument in the hands of God. Jesus rules over all creation. Jesus is sovereign. He he rules over creation because he's the producer of creation. He he was the agent of creation. But not only does he rule over creation because he's the producer of creation, but we also see that that is the very purpose of creation. Jesus is the very purpose of creation. Look at the last sentence in verse 16. He says, all things were created through him and, oh, you can help me preach. Let's do that again. (laughs) All things were created through him and Jesus is the agent of creation because it was created through him. That's agency. But then the text says, not only is he the agent of creation, but he's also the aim of creation. All right. I'm going to put my weight on it. All things, including you, were created for Jesus Christ. You can meditate on that for a few seconds. All things, including you, were created for Jesus Christ. Let me just be very upfront and blunt with you. If the aim of your life is anything else than Jesus Christ, you are wasting your life. See, oftentimes, Jesus is not the aim of our lives. He's on the list of the many things of our life, but he's not first place in our life. We, We live in a world, church, that says every person should just do whatever makes them happy. We we live for our own self-pleasure. Our aim is to fulfill our own desires. The aim of some people's lives is another person, whether it be their spouse, their children. It, the aim of other people's lives is their career, their job. Paul says the goal of all creation is Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Live for Jesus. Worship Jesus. You were created for Jesus. And if you're not doing that, quit wasting time. 
Today is a good day to turn your life around. We call that repentance. And you start selling out to Jesus and for Jesus. He's the agent and aim of creation. So not only do we see the producer of creation, the purpose of creation. Watch this. Paul says he rules over all creation because he preexisted creation. Verse 17 says he is before all things. Christ existed before all creation. Now, watch this. Christ was not created. Christ has just always existed. He is the uncreated creator. Let me say it like this. This is how we say it back in the country. Jesus always was, Jesus always is, and Jesus always will be. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. He, he, he's always been. Matter of fact, the text says in verse 18, he says, watch this, Jesus is the beginning. He is, he is the beginning. And because he was there before anything was ever created, he has the right to rule over all creation. He He's the producer of creation. He's the purpose of creation. He pre-exists creation, but he's also preeminent in his church. The text says that Christ is the head of the body. And then Paul explains to us what the body is. It's the church. Now, people have wasted a lot of ink. Well, let me just say this. There's been a lot of ink used on what head means. Does it mean source? Because this, this really gets uh, tricky when you, when you read a verse um, from 1 Corinthians that says that man is the head of woman. So, so is, is Paul arguing in that context that, that, that man is the source of woman? Or, 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 or does head have to do with Control, leadership. And so people have gone back and forth about what head means. Whatever you arrive on as far as what head means, Jesus is that. Jesus, he's the source of the church. Without Christ, there is no church. Christ gives life to the church. He animates the church. Not only does, is he the source of the church, but he's also the king of the church. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. Jesus is, he's the one who gives it direction. Jesus is the one who has given the church its mission, which is to make disciples of all nations. And so therefore, he is preeminent. That word preeminent means first place. Christ is first in everything. Watch, the text has already said he's the firstborn of all creation. And so since Jesus has been given first place, he is to be first in our lives. Christ is to be given first place. He is to be first in our worship. He's to be first in our witness. He's to be first in our lives. He's to be first in our preaching. He's to be first in our homes. He's to be first in our work. 
He is to be first in everything. He's, he's, verse 19 says, it was in Christ that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased God. It, it brought God great delight for his son to become a man and still be God. Everything that God was was manifested in his son. Notice Church, the adjective, all. Christ was fully God. Christ is fully God and fully man. He was never half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. He was a man's man. But he was also, maybe some of our kids can help me, God from God. Light from light, true God from true God, and begotten, not made. He was of the same essence as the Father. That's a snippet from the Nicene, Nicene Creed, which I think y'all are learning. So Jesus rules over all creation. But this is where we've been trying to get to. Not only does Jesus reveal God, not only does Jesus rule over creation, but Jesus reconciles creation. Through Jesus Christ, God the Father is reconciling all things to himself. This this is significant. This really could potentially change your, uh, uh, one component of your theology. Because for many people, uh, Christ's death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection was just so we could get to heaven. And that is a blessing of the death of Christ. But what God was doing through his son was providing a way for all of his creation to be reconciled back to him. Here's the significance of this. The earth, Paul says in Romans 8, is groaning. It, it's, it, the, the earth has been affected and is upset, has been upset through sin, through the fall, so that we see tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes and, and the like. But God says that all of the earth through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to be reconciled. So that there's going to be a day. What, what, what John said in Revelation, he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. All of that comes about because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not just for us to get to heaven but it's for the restoration and the recreation and the renewal of all of God's creation. And we are a part of his creation. So the goal of reconciliation is for all things to be brought back into right relationship with the creator. And Paul says the means by which this happens is the blood of Jesus Christ. In order for reconciliation to happen, church, 
Jesus had to satisfy the wrath of God by becoming a man and dying for the sins of the world. Did he really have to become a man? Oh, yeah. Because death runs the opposite way when it sees God. And so for God to die, he had to become man in order to die. And so now Jesus has become man so that he could die for the sins of man. Since man sinned, man had to pay for his own sins. Well, we on our own could not pay for our own sins. We were unworthy because we are all sinners. So what did God do? He sent a substitute. His own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to God, our creator. Verse 21, he says, don't forget, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is the condition of every person without Jesus Christ. We, we are literally estranged from God. And we become hostile to God in our mind. That's our attitudes. And in evil deeds. That's our actions. So every part of us is affected by sin. Both our attitudes and our actions. Church, those who are hostile and alienated from God are subject, subjects of the wrath of God, which is eternal separation from God in hell. That's the bad news. But I'm so glad that Paul didn't stop writing right there. Paul says, Though we were alienated and though we were estranged from God and though we were hostile towards God and though we were enemies of God, he says we've been reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says Jesus Christ has paid the debt in full that we incurred. Jesus is the one who turns enemies into friends. Jesus is the one who brings peace where there's hostility. Church, we've been through a rough last month in our nation. So people want to know, what do we do? What do we do in order for, for racial reconciliation to happen? And as I said last week and the weeks before, it's not just going to happen through a barbecue, which was good. I was there. I think it was a great first step. We had a great time. It's not going to happen through new legislation alone. It's not going to happen through just training. It's not just going to happen just by happenstance. True racial reconciliation cannot happen without Jesus Christ. And so that's why the church has to be about her business of making much of Jesus, when we make much of Jesus, when we bring light to dark places, when we show the world Jesus and share Jesus with the world, and when they are reconciled with their creator, then they can be reconciled with their fellow man. So as I said last week, the church is crucial. It has, the church has to be at the center. The church
church has to lead the movement in order for racial reconciliation to happen. That's why I am, I've, God has called me and given me the conviction that the Bridge Church needs to be a church that's the, that's, that's, uh, 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 that, that wants to, what is our mission statement? Develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Do that thing, boy. <laughs> we need to model what reconciliation looks like. The church needs to do that. Now, am I saying every church in the world has to be a multi-ethnic church? No. You've heard me say that time and time again. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm not saying that. But I do think the church needs to reflect its community. And so we need to be the ones modeling what reconciliation looks like to the rest of the world. That we can get beyond the, the, the color of our skin. That we can get beyond the, our political affiliation. We can get beyond our economic differences, our socioeconomic status, and that we say we are all equal in the eyes of Jesus Christ, that we are all image bearers. So we model that. That wasn't even in my manuscript. So, but my point of this sermon was to show you that Jesus is the great reconciler. Jesus can do it. So that's what we do, church. We make much of Jesus. I, I, the reason we've done the things that we've done the last month, as far as the structure of our service, was so that our service had a gospel flow. The gospel begins with God and his holiness and his, his majesty. And he expects us. We were created to bring glory to God. Then we move to man, and we must confess that we fall short of the glory of God. And so we confess, God, we haven't done what you created us for. But then we also, we come back after we believed in Jesus Christ, believed that he died in our place. It was in our place that condemned he stood. And, and, and we trust in Jesus Christ being the son of God. He, was, he, he, he died and was buried and rose on the third day. And we are committed and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. Then we declare together that we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's God, there's us, then there's Christ. But the gospel demands a response. So you hear the word. Now it's time to respond to the word. The question that's on the table today is, what will you do with Jesus? Sinner, what will you do with Jesus? Will you continue to trust in your own self, your own good works? Will you continue to trust in, in Muhammad, Buddha, any other God? And when you do that, you're rejecting Jesus. And that comes with consequences. Or will you turn to Jesus by trusting in him? What will you do with Jesus? Believer. Disciple follower. Is Jesus really first place? 
in your life, in your worship, in your witness. But let me just say this, since I'm off my manuscript now. When I say make Jesus first in our worship, that means we got to get over our preferences in worship. I say, I want to plant a multi-ethnic church that'll never work. Why? The worship styles are too different. Worship isn't about us. If Chris Tomlin is going to make much of Jesus, then we can worship the Chris Tomlin. If Hezekiah Walker is going to make much of Jesus, y'all like, Hezekiah who? That's gospel. If Hezekiah Walker makes much of Jesus, then we ought to be able to sing Jesus because it's about Jesus and not ourselves. And I think the whole church, the church universal, the church global, the church worldwide needs to repent from the sin of preference. I'm in the house there, Anna, bro. Let me push it forward. I can go beyond songs. We need to repent from the, from, from the sin of preference of preachers. They've been doing it since the Bible time. Some said, I'm Apollos. I'm a Paul. I'm a Christ. They, they had their favorites. I'm a Brandon. Well, I'm a Josh. If we are making much of Jesus, then that's what you prefer, Jesus. Yeah, you may like one style over another. And I hear it all the time. I'm too much for a lot of people. <laughs> I can't imagine that. There are people who have said they, won't, they can't come to the bridge because I'm just too much. And that's okay. I'm not offended. But if the preacher makes much of Jesus, that's what you ought to prefer. Now, if they're preaching something else besides Jesus, don't prefer that. Matter of fact, leave from there. That's a biblical reason to leave a church, when Jesus is not the main attraction. Make much of Jesus. Okay, I forgot where I was going with this. Paul says, we've been reconciled to the Father through the Son, but he says, here's the reason for it. Oh, we. I'm about to take my lap, y'all. He says the purpose of all, all of this is so that we can be presented before the Father. Watch this. As holy, blameless, and faultless. I'm about to, y'all. Okay, listen. I'm going to confess something real quick to y'all. I ain't going to tell you all my business, but I'm just going to tell y'all something. I know how low down I can be. Thank you. I know how low down I have been. You're not supposed to say amen there. <laughs> and I know that there's a, a great likelihood that at some point I'm going to do something that's really low down. But because I've trusted in Jesus Christ, when I get before the great throne of judgment, God's not going to see my low downness. He's going to see Jesus and that I've been covered by his blood and so that I can be there stand without fault, without blame. He said that's what he's done it for. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He says, but this is what you've got to do. Here's what you've got to do. He says, don't drift away from this assurance 
that you have. What, call, what Paul calls the hope of the gospel. That hope is a confident expectation. Church, our hope is in Jesus. The, the, here's how the hymn writer said it. My hope is built. Oh, you can help me preach this thing. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He's, I, I hope is in Jesus. And because our hope is in Jesus, we're going to stand before the throne. Faultless. With exceeding joy. And church, every day we have to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Here, 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 here's the implications of the gospel. I am a friend of God. That's what reconciliation means. I'm not an enemy of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. I have to remind myself of that every day that I am now at peace with God. I, I, I've waved the white flag. I've got to remind myself one day I'm going to stand before God without fault. I've got to remind myself every day, Brandon, you don't have to live in guilt and shame because your sin has been dealt with not in part but in whole. Ooh, I'm, am I in here by myself? Every day I've got to remind myself I'm no longer a slave to sin. That I've been given the Holy Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit I can uh, uh, deny sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to yield to temptation. Because of all this, I don't have to live a life full of guilt. Yeah, I've got a past, and it's dark, but, that's, but that past has been nailed to the cross too. And so I can say, as we said in the assurance of pardon, that there is now, there is therefore now, no condemnation. See, many of us are waiting on the no condemnation when we get to heaven, but the truth of the gospel is I'm standing now not condemned. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In other words, that means not guilty. Woo. So my prayer then, now that my guilt and my shame has been dealt with at the foot of the cross, my prayer is draw me nearer. Nearer, precious Lord to the cross where thy husband died. Jesus, keep me near the cross. For there's a precious fountain. What will you do with Jesus, my friend? If reconciliation is to happen, Jesus has to be at the center. If reconciliation needs to happen in your family, Jesus has to be at the center. If reconciliation is to be happen between black folks and white folks and, and Hispanic folk and Mexican folk and Asian folk, it's got to be through Jesus Christ. Worship team, you can come back.